around in the great big city. Fast money and the life will never show you no pity. Oh, I work hard trying to make my bones. But times have changed and I just got to move. I can't run away, I can't run away, I can't run. Welcome to Crime Wire on the Inside Lens Network, with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides and suspicious deaths. If you have a question or comment for today's guest or for me, please call in at 646-478-0982. My name is Denny Griffin, and my co-host is Delilah Jones of ImaginePublicity.com. Hi, Delilah. Hi, Denny. This is exciting. I, you know, we haven't heard that music in a long time, and it's kind of neat to hear <laughs> it back playing again. It gets you grooving. But I'm, I'm yeah, just happy absolutely. that that we're we're doing a crime wire show today. I'm, we've done shows under different um, names, I guess you might say. We we produce a lot of different shows on the Inside Lens Network, including my show, Imagine Publicity on Air. Um, we also were doing a lot of things with the Transparency Project that you uh, were so good to uh, bring about and have had a lot of good success with that. And you have an anthology book coming out on on the transparency project. Do you want to go into any of that at this point or no? Uh, yeah, I, I would actually, uh, as a matter of fact, I submitted the manuscript for this book It's called survivors, the forgotten victims of homicide and suspicious death. And we're talking about the families and what the families, the survivors of the victims have to go through uh, in the aftermath of the death of, of their loved one, and it's uh, it, it's really some compelling stories. And these are cases in which the cases are cold; either uh, no arrests were made, or, or the the suspect uh, fled and is is on the loose somewhere or other, or the investigations may not have been conducted by the police. Uh, appropriately or thoroughly, uh, key witnesses, potential witnesses not interviewed, and, and those types of things. So it's, uh, uh, and I submitted that to the publisher over the weekend, and, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be accepted and that we'll have a, and that book will get out in the next uh, two or three months. Well, that is exciting, and I I think it's something everyone should be watching for because it's a very important book in the sense that, you know, the survivors have been able to tell their stories in, in their own words, at their own pace, not like, you know, we get them on for interviews and everything, but it's kind of kind of nerve-wracking for them. So I think they've been able to go a lot more in-depth to each of their specific cases in this book. So be watching for it. Um, so what are we doing today? Well, I've kind of a special show, I guess, special for me anyway, is uh, I want to talk about my new book that's actually being officially released today. It's called A Family Business, and family is in quotes. And it's uh, 
by me, and the story is the story of the life and times of Joe Silvestri, who was, uh, well, an absolutely incredible life this man has led. And Joe and I conspired on the book. He provided the story, and he's listed as my co-author. And uh, it, I'm, I'm really excited about it. So uh, that's what I'd like to talk about today. I've invited Joe to uh, to join us if he's available. I don't know if he will or not. But uh, but if not, I know enough about the book that I can certainly talk about it. And I want to mention, uh, and Delilah, I want to thank you for having us, uh, Joe and I both, on your program a few weeks ago. And uh, so you're familiar uh, pretty much with the book as well. And, uh, you know, we can, oh, any yeah. questions you want to ask me or whatever, we'll certainly... Uh, We'll certainly address it. It was it was really a good book. I I really enjoyed reading it, and also enjoyed talking with you and and Joey Silvestri a few weeks ago. And the, I, like I mentioned on my show, the thing that struck me and and the thing that I thought that I came away with was so exciting was the fact that here you have. The storytelling aspect, um, you know, there's been tons and tons of books written about mobs and mobsters and, and the life and so forth. But uh, from Joey's perspective was a little bit different. His stories were a little bit different and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. And I highly recommend it if anyone who's interested in, in that type of history and, you know, how these things come about. It's it's a very interesting book. Well, well, thanks, Dee, and I, I appreciate that. And it, it was fun to write, and it was fun to work with Joe. And, and just in the way of background, I met uh, several years ago a gentleman named Tony Napoli, uh, also called uh, known as Tony Knapp. And Tony's dad, Jimmy Napoli, was a capo or captain, if you will, with the Genovese crime family in New York. And he ran, probably at least at that time, the largest illegal gambling operation in the country, if not the world. And he was a highly respected man. And in fact, the other families trusted him to handle all their gambling operations. And as uh, a lot of people will know, that in the mob business, trust is not <laughs> is not all that plentiful. So uh, that speaks to to Jimmy's reputation. And anyway, Tony, uh, his, I've, I've been friends with him for several years, and he recommended to me that I talk with Joe Silvestri. He, he said this man has led a fabulous life. He said he's really uh, an amazing guy. And he says, I think he wants to tell his story now. He said he's in his mid-80s, and he'd like to uh, to get his story out there. And would I be interested in helping him with it? So so that's how Joe and I got involved. And when Tony recommends someone, that's you know the person's been vetted. <laughs> and because uh, <laughs> Tony doesn't recommend people or, you know, just casually throw out uh, endorsements. So, um uh, Joe and I got together. Uh, in fact, we've never met in person, uh, but we got together through uh, email and telephone, and we discussed we discussed the stories Joe has and uh, the life he's led. 
And I was I was really intrigued because he's done a little bit of everything. He's done some illegal things. Uh, he's done some legal things, but in uh, such as the Copa, <laughs> where there was a heavy mob influence in addition to the entertainment, um, and, and got into the restaurant business and the uh, mortgage business. I mean, he so he's uh, had a wealth of experience and. Uh, one of the things that he did uh, in his career, if you will, was uh, he became what what I call a fixer. Uh, in other words, he he developed a lot of contacts, uh, especially through the Copa. He met an awful lot of uh, uh, mobsters, uh, many of them bosses, and he he developed a, a rapport and reputation with them and uh later in life uh he started intervening if you will when there were disputes and if if people were having issues he would meet with the people and try to resolve the problems and there was always either violence or the threat of violence kind of lurking in the background of uh of these arrangements but anyway Joey was uh He'd get the job done and uh, and resolve the issues, not necessarily to everyone's satisfaction, but to what what was deemed to be fair. So uh, he did all this stuff, and and I just uh, listened to him, and we, and we recorded our conversations, and listened to him for hours and hours on these on these tapes, and uh, uh, I really enjoyed it. So I someday I'd like to meet Joey in person. Uh, hopefully over the summer. Uh, he lives uh, in New York City, and uh, I'm, I'm upstate during the summer, so we're only a couple hundred miles apart. So I'm hoping we can work out an in-person face-to-face at some point, hopefully this summer. Well, that would be fun. <laughs> and I think one of the interesting things about Joey that we brought out before was the fact that you know he grew up a fighter. He wasn't afraid to throw a few punches where where it needed to be, and don't you think that's kind of what got him into the positions that he held later on? Uh, absolutely. He realized when he was a young fellow in uh, in school in high school that uh, even though he wasn't huge, he wasn't a tremendously big guy. However, it happened just because of his conditioning or whatever. He was always took care of himself, and uh, he had a, a great punch. And uh, he broke a few jaws with it, and, uh, and knocked a few people out with it. And uh, when he he so that's something that he said was a benefit to him in some regards, and in other cases, uh, you know, kind of came back to haunt him because he. Uh, Sometimes couldn't control his temper and so forth, and he'd uh, he'd punch somebody out. Maybe when if he had it to do over again, he wouldn't have. But uh, yeah, that uh, that punching power, I think, was uh, kind of led to everything else. Uh, that's what caused people to, to I don't want to say fear, but respect him, and uh, you know that if, if he indicated he might have to. Uh, to resort to some type of violence that the the person he was talking to would, would understand it was a legitimate threat and that uh, uh, he would be wise to pay attention. So yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that punching uh, punching ability of his 
was a key part of everything else he did later on. Well, and one of one of the things that he did early on was what was his position at the Copacabana? I, I, I that goes went bye bye well, in my mind, but it, that was an interesting job to have. Uh, absolutely, it was it had to be one of the highlights. Well, it was one of the highlights of Joe's life, and what uh, I call it a bouncer. Okay, that wasn't the official title, but basically what he did, he started out. Uh, his first night, they hired him as a waiter, and he was not waiter material in his in his words, but he wanted to get his foot in the door at the Copa, so he he did a waiter's job like for one night and uh, spilled a drink in somebody's lap and that type of thing. So that didn't work out, and in fact, he quit. He walked off the job, and one of the other employees chased him. Joe, I guess, was on his way to the subway to to get a ride home. And uh, his friend caught up with him and said, the owner, the boss, Mr. Podell, he said, would like to talk to you. Don't don't leave. Come on back. So Joe went back and they, uh, the boss, uh, Mr. Podell, said, you're no longer a waiter. He said, you can, you can have the tux. Now, the tuxedo thing was the big thing. That was Joe's goal to begin with. That meant you worked the line. And uh, if you've ever seen any of the movies that, that have uh, scenes, uh, you know, are created from allegedly based on the Copa or the movie Goodfellas, for example, uh, that was, there were several scenes, Copa related scenes in that film. Uh, these guys wore the tuxes. They monitor, there was always waiting lines, people waiting to get in and they would keep ordering the lines, make sure people got in, in the, in the uh, right sequence and, and all that type of thing. And that's what Joey wanted. And uh, that made him, uh, anybody who had that job, this tuxedo job, uh, was everybody wanted to be your friend because they figured you could, they could cut the line, they could get better seating, you know, those types of things. So it was a job Joe had coveted, and he really, uh, as it worked out, when he spilled the drink in the guy's lap and got uh, get out of the waiter position, it uh, worked out to his benefit. And he was very, very happy. And it was some of the best, uh, most exciting years of his life were in that job at the Copa because he not only dealt with the likes of Sinatra, Sammy Davis, uh, Tom Jones, and, and the, the big-time stars of the day who were already stars or up-and-comers. Uh, he dealt with all them. Plus, as I say, the mobsters hung out there. So he made all these contacts and developed his reputation as a as a tough guy, a guy could could handle himself verbally. And if verbal didn't work, he was able to back it up physically. So, yeah, that that Copa was a tremendous opportunity for him, and that probably set the stage. You know, as I say, for for what happened and, and the different ventures he got into for the for the rest of his life. So what what exactly I mean I know he met a lot of the people in the mob at the Copa what sort of position did he have in the mob? Well, you you have different probably most people are familiar with the term made man. Okay, that's when you become a, a member, an actual member of the organization. Uh, and you you get in boss position, uh, that type of thing. And you also have associates, people who are not made men, uh, 
but that deal with or work with uh, or affiliated with the the mobsters. And what uh, Joey did to his contact, uh, gambling was his forte. He loved gambling, was an avid gambler himself, uh, and he was really had expert knowledge of the of crap. And Joe corrected me. A lot of people call them craps. It's not a crap game. It's a dice game. Um, so he had great knowledge of that. And also blackjack and poker. Were, uh, he was in, well-educated in those areas. And his abilities, both with his knowledge of gaming and his uh, you know, ability as a uh, a tough guy, uh, and his contacts with the mob, he went to work for them in several of the biggest illegal gambling games in New York City. Uh, you know, I'm not talking with somebody going to somebody's house with five or six guys and play a few hands of poker. I'm talking about some major stuff with the big time gamblers and, and uh, a lot of money involved. So uh, Joey broke in in that regard. And was very successful. And not only did he work for the uh, some organized crime uh, families, but he also ran his own games with their permission. It was he, he wasn't bucking them or, or taking away from their business, but he was allowed to run his own games as well. So uh, and then he had to deal with the cops and the crooked cops and who was on the take and who got paid off and who would look the other way. And uh, and all those things. And then, as I say, he ended up, uh, or not ended up, but eventually became then the, the, the fixer guy where people started relying on him to for dispute, or what do they call it, conflict res- resolution. And, uh, and Joe would get involved in those situations as well. But gambling was his primary, as far as areas of interest. He really loved the gambling and uh, there was good money to be made in it, uh, besides enjoying it himself. So he wasn't he wasn't particularly associated with one particular family. Uh, no. Okay. He, so he, knew a, he was kind of a free a agent, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which you can be. You know, when you get that reputation, like I was telling you about uh, Jimmy Napoli, who was with the Genovese family, but the other families trusted him and allowed him to run their stuff. So uh, Joe had that t- kind of respect as what they call a stand-up guy. Uh, uh, old school, you know, you never talk to the cops about any information you had. You never ratted anybody out, that, that type of thing. Um, and, and that's why he had this reputation, you know, the, the reputation of being, like I said, the stand-up guy type thing. And also the ability to handle himself and uh, and whatever he was into, he had the he was qualified and capable of, of doing a good job on it. And in the book, he refers to the um, the mobsters, especially boss types, as vips, very important persons. He he calls them, and he got to meet a number of VIPs uh, again through the Copa primarily. And then of course once he got into these other areas, he met more. So he had uh, 
a wealth of contacts and connections and so on. So, uh, and and it all again originated Copa. That's how he got into all this other stuff. Well, where did he go next? What I mean, he he really was into a lot of different types of businesses. Did he? Did they sort of overlap, or did he sort of leave one and go to another type of business? And how did he transition? Uh, some some were overlaps. Uh, in other words, running the gambling games, for example, was not a full time job. They they might run. Uh, let's say they would run the the big poker game, the illegal poker game, or the blackjack game, one or two nights a week. So Joe might have four days, let's say, or four nights, four shifts of, of running those, and he had other time off. So he would be into various things simultaneously. Um, one of them was he got involved, as I mentioned earlier, he, he was always in, in top physical shape, and he got offered a job at a health club. In fact, there were a series of health clubs uh, as a fitness trainer, basically. Um, and he got into that, and he had some. Uh, he ended up being a manager of, uh, of one of the facilities, and with his uh, forceful personality, um, he was able to run a tight ship. At, 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 and people loved him. Uh, came in, like I say, he was excellent at what he did. He was in top condition, so he and he met a lot of celebrities and so forth through these. Uh, these fitness uh, programs, and he was still doing the, the the gambling and so forth, kind of on a part-time basis or, or filling in. So he did have overlapping uh, jobs, if you will. Then when he got out of the uh, the health club operation, he went into uh, the mortgage business. He some close friends of his were in it. They were having trouble with the, their partners and being shut out and being denied commissions and so forth. So they contacted Joey and uh, he had never done anything like that before, but they told him it was a piece of cake, but they needed to get out from under these partners they had. So Joey used his uh, skills at, conflict resolution and had a talk with the partners and it was agreed that uh, they would part company and uh, Joe then became a partner in this uh, mortgage thing uh, and it was was quite an operation and and that led again to more contacts and more opportunities (laughs) Uh, and then he got into the restaurant business uh, and ended up working for one of the largest uh, pizza operations uh, uh, chain in the country, if not the world. Uh, highly, this was a highly successful business. However, in the end, it uh, didn't work out very well for him. I'll just let it go with that. Exactly. And tell us about some of the celebrities that he rubbed elbows with throughout his his illustrious career. Well, he had, uh, I'll go back to the Copa because that was where he really worked closely with them. And Frank Sinatra was one of the biggies. 
and in fact, Sinatra offered him a job, and Joey turned it down. And he said that afterward, he always wondered if that was a wise move. But uh, Joe had heard that Sinatra could be, uh, how should I say, a little tough on his employees and uh, wanting them to do things such as uh, take care of his dirty laundry. I, I don't, I don't, I mean that in the sense of clothes, okay? Uh, and different things that Joe was not interested in. He, he, he feared that if he accepted uh, this job offer from Sinatra, he might end up telling them to go to hell. And uh, so he decided against it. But he said that always kind of uh, was in his craw was whether that was the right decision. Uh, he became very good friends with Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, and some great stories he had of his interactions with Sammy and this issue Sammy Davis was going through. Uh, stuff that I never knew before or maybe I had heard but didn't know the details. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he also... Uh, Tom Jones. He he wasn't uh, Jones was an up and comer, and and Joey more like the uh, the Sinatras and the uh, Sammy Davises and the Vic Damones and these uh, these type of people. But um, he wasn't really into this uh, really heavy rock and roll stuff. But uh, he worked with Jones on several shows, and he also met some sports celebrities. There were a lot of boxers, for example, that would come in the Copa, and he got to be very good friends with uh, some of the New York Yankee players, including uh, Mickey Mantle, Billy Martin, Yogi Berra, uh, Whitey Ford, uh, some of the names from the past. And one of the incidents uh, in the book is where he, we call it base brawl, and it was 1955, and Billy Martin was out celebrating his birthday. They'd been to a few different joints and ended up at the Copa. It happened that night. There was uh, another group in there. There were some bowlers, local bowlers, and they had just won some kind of a championship, a city tournament or something. And they were in there celebrating. And uh, everybody was pretty much in their cups. And Sammy Davis was the headliner for that night. And Sammy was multi-talented. He could uh, dance, sing, tell jokes, do impersonations. He could do a lot of stuff. And he was, uh, whatever his act was that night, the bowlers didn't like it. They wanted him to do something different. And of course, you're back in the 50s when you had, uh, you know, some discrimination issues and so on. So they got on Sammy demanding that he switch his act to something else and Sammy uh, didn't do it so the Yankee players uh, they were friends of Davis's so one of them I think it was Billy Martin went over to the bowling table where the bowlers were and asked if they would not pick on Sammy I'm sure those weren't the words but that was the gist of it Um, and the bowlers kept it up and they basically told Billy Martin who didn't take much to provoke him that, you know, to mind his own business and so on. So um, this thing deteriorated into a fist fight. And 
one guy ended up with a broken jaw, one of the bowlers, and there was some uh, grand jury investigation of it, and it was huge news locally in the in the New York papers, you know, the sports sections uh, about this uh, this thing. So, and it, that incident uh, bothered Joey ever since then. What happened and how there was some erroneous information and so forth about who did what. So uh, he wanted to set the record straight in the book, and uh, and he did that. I won't again go into the details, but it was quite a quite an exciting uh, night there at the Copa. I'm sure it was. Um, can you talk <laughs> briefly about his his encounter with Donald Trump? I thought that was pretty interesting. The way that fell fell together for him. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, as I mentioned, he got into the restaurant business, uh, two or three different businesses. And and one of them, uh, Trump had the, uh, you know, these uh, apartment buildings in New York and condos and so forth. And every time he sold an apartment, he would throw a party welcoming the new tenant and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and he would have Joe's restaurant, Joe and his partner, cater the event. So through that, Joe got to meet some of these uh, parties that they catered. And one year for, uh, it was anniversary, I believe, or Christmas, uh, the kids bought Joe and his wife a trip to the Trump's Casino in Atlantic City, uh, a weekend uh, trip. So Joe was there, and they were doing a little gambling. His wife was playing some slots, and uh, they decided to go for a uh, a meal for, for supper or dinner. And lo and behold, at that time, who's walking through the casino but Mr. Trump? So Joe approached him. He said, you know, he said, I don't know if you remember me, Mr. Trump, and I was, you know, we catered your, your parties uh, and so forth. And Trump said, oh, yeah, yeah, how you doing? And they shot the breeze for a little bit. And I uh, said, so where are you going? Joe said, well, we're just uh, the wife and I are going to go and, and, and have something to eat. Trump says, follow me. So he took him into, uh, I guess it was a steakhouse uh, at the at the casino. And he called the maitre d' over and he said, these people are my personal guests. Whatever they want is theirs. You know, no charge. No questions asked. So, uh Joe and his wife really uh, enjoyed it. It was, you know, a thrill and a thrill for his wife, of course, to get to meet uh, the future president. And um, yeah, Joe, Joe has, as far as his dealings with with, uh, with Donald Trump, he has nothing but positive uh, things to say about him. He said uh, the, the Donald treated him, you know, excellent, like royalty. Uh, not only when they met at the casino, but, but during these other uh, catered events that, uh, that they did for Mr. Trump. And who would have thought that he'd become president? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's quite and, the story that he, you know, that he relates and how, I mean, you just never know who we've had dinner with or who we've encountered that might be president someday. <laughs> yeah. You never know what the future holds. That's for sure. no, no, you don't. Well, and I, one, uh, one, one thing I go ahead, Denny. Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, another 
in the book was uh, when Joe was working on opening a restaurant. They were uh, he and his partner had, were under construction, getting a place remodeling a place they had bought. <coughs> Excuse me, and it just happened to be the day of the first World Trade Center bombing, when it killed, I guess, was six or eight people, or whatever. Uh, the car bomb and. Joe uh, tells the story of that. Uh, Joe is a very patriotic guy, and his the way he describes what it was like because this restaurant was within a couple of blocks of the World Trade Center, and uh, the looks on the faces of the, the the people as they fled the building, you know that type of thing, and it's really very compelling. And uh, you know, and he also gets into the the nine eleven. Uh, event as well and what that was like and a very good friend of his and a business partner uh was a was a new york cop at the time and he he responded one of the first responders to the 9-11 event and he ended up getting a broken back and uh, had to go out on disability but uh, this friend gives his account his personal account of what happened that day and what it was like, and it's really uh, very emotional. I found it to be a very emotional section of the book. Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Well, what was Joey doing, like, when he decided to retire? Or has he really retired and and, and <laughs> is now just living the good life? <laughs> well, he's... Retired, I guess, in the sense, but he's looking. He's had a couple of uh, feelers from uh, people interested in opening restaurants in New York, wanting to basically know if he's available or would consider uh, getting back into the business, helping to run, you know, manage in the management position. So he's uh, right now he's not actively employed, but uh, he hasn't shut the door on the possibility that he may be again in the future. But right now, I guess you could say he's retired. Well, that's exciting. I mean, he that's a testament to the good job he did if he still has people coming to him for his expertise at his age. That's great. Oh, absolutely. Like I say, again, he has this reputation, and that reputation has put him in good stead. I mean, you know, he did what he did, but he did it in uh, what should you say an honorable, <laughs> an honorable manner that that he had the trust uh, and so forth of people and uh, yeah I agree with you somebody at, at this point that is still interested in uh, in Joe and, and maybe having him on their team uh, certainly speaks volumes I think of Joe the man and his reputation. I agree. Well, let's kind of switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the the whole process that you went through when writing this book and maybe some of your other books as well, um, because I think that's that's quite incredible in itself. Yes, I, I I've written now, uh, including Joe's book, I think four uh, or five uh, mob related books, organized crime related books, um, helping uh, with bios, with biographies by various mobsters and former mobsters. And it's 
how I got into all this was after I retired and I started a second career writing, um, I was I was going to pack it in. I was writing fiction, mystery thriller fiction, and competition in that genre is very stiff, to put it mildly. There's a lot of great writers out there with established followings and so on. And I, you know, I would kind of tread water. And I, I said, you know, I need another hobby. Maybe this isn't for me. And I was at a writer's conference, and I was telling one of the instructors uh, during a break, and I said, well, you probably won't be seeing me, you know, at the next conference. Uh, and I explained, I said, I, I think I got to switch gears here and get into something different. And uh, this lady said, you know, with your background, she says, I don't know why you don't do police procedurals and true crime stuff. And I said, I never thought about it. So uh, we talked back and forth and then uh, by phone and email after the conference and through her encouragement and uh, expertise on this, because she had written uh, the history of the Indiana State Police, um, I was able to work out a deal with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department to do their history. Uh, it was in 2005 the book came out. Um, through that book, I had to do it. If you're going to do a Sin City uh, book, you have to have something about organized crime in it because of the reputation of Las Vegas. I didn't know what to write about, so I uh, asked one of the Metro cops I was working with uh, what he thought. And he says, well, write about Tony Spilatro. I says, who the hell is Tony Spilatro? And he said, did you ever see the movie Casino? And I said, I had. He said, well, Joe Pesci's character was based on Tony. I said, oh, I said, I never knew that. I just thought it was a Hollywood thing. I didn't know there was any, no really fact behind it. And he said, oh, no. He said, that's, uh, you know, there's some Hollywood stuff in there. He said, but most of it's uh, pretty much right on as far as uh, what happened. So I did a section on Tony, got hooked on him. And that led me to uh, want to do a book about that era, that Spilatro era. So I wrote the book called The Battle for Las Vegas, The Law versus the Mob. And through that, I got uh, connected to Frank Collada, who was uh, Tony Spilatro's street lieutenant. Uh, they were pals from Chicago as kids, and then Frank joined Tony in Las Vegas for that operation. Uh, eventually, Frank and I conspired on his bio. The book is called Collada. And uh, when that book got out, I started getting calls and inquiries from other organized crime figures, uh, you know, wanting to know if I would work with them on their books. So that, that kind of opened the door for me that what, what that, uh, that instructor told me at the writer's conference back in, I believe it was 2004. And it was, uh, it was quite a thing, you know, again, we we're saying who knows what the future holds. It just happened that I went to that conference I didn't go to all of them, but that was one I went to, and, and it worked out for me. And, and that got me into what I'm into now, and that led to me doing uh, some cold case investigation, not investigations, but consulting, if you will, uh, and the transparency project. So anyway, it was uh, like the domino thing. Which once it got going, it just catapulted me, if you will, into a whole different uh, – a whole different atmosphere. And as far as doing the books, I 
Frank I've met with several times, Andrew DiDonato, who I wrote the book Surviving the Mob. I've met with him several times. I didn't write any of Henry Hill's books, Henry Hill of Goodfellas fame, but I've done several events with Henry. God bless him. He's deceased now, but um, got to know him fairly well. Um, so all these contacts and connections, uh, and I, I've had to turn down several uh, book proposals, if you will, or, or requests for me to do books, because I, I always tell the, the people who I that I might work with right up front, you got to be honest with me. My reputation's on the line here if we do a book, and I've got to know that you're not embellishing everything and that I'm not going to get caught, uh, you know, writing something that's not true. And I also tell them that I will research and vet them as best I can as well. And uh, and I would do that. And a, a few times I found that I had been misled. Uh, and I, of course, you know, I don't want to ruffle too many feathers. But I would just say, I, you know, I just, I'm a too busy now I can't uh, or whatever but I would I would beg off I wouldn't uh, wouldn't go forward a couple of them I just told them outright I said you know you told me something and it's it's not true so um, I think I'll pass but I almost uh, a lot of this stuff I do then is uh, is by phone I have an account a free conference call and they allow you to record your conversation so uh, I do a lot of that. Uh, if I can't meet with the people in person or can't meet with them in person all the time, uh, an awful lot of it is done by that. And then I, uh, by conference call recordings, and then I go back and I'll play the uh, recordings back and and write based on that. Send the uh, the chapter or the section or whatever that I wrote to, to the uh, to my partner and ask them to go over it, make sure I have everything right, that I didn't uh, misunderstand anything or if I needed clarification. And we would go back and forth as much as necessary until we were both satisfied that these, that what I had written was uh, was accurate. And, uh, and then we'd incorporate it into the manuscript. So it, you know, sometimes it's bulky and I'm still, even after, let's see, I wrote, started my first manuscript in 94. So even after... Uh, all these years, uh, I'm still a one-fingered typist. So for me, <laughs> uh, the writing, uh, you know, the typing piece of it is is probably my toughest job. And uh, but I get by. I, I'm uh, I got the one finger now, even though it's still only one finger, moving a lot quicker than it <laughs> than it did 20 uh, 25 years ago. So I'm making progress. This is, is quite a mental picture you've painted. I can, I can see this happening, and you know, with Denny at the computer at all hours of the night with a little light on, pecking away. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah, amazing it, it, that you've been able to write so many books in that in that way. <laughs> but I think yeah, it's I important for readers to know because you know you pick up a book and you read it, you don't think about what blood, sweat, and tears went into it in the background with the authors. Yeah, you take it for granted. 
you know, like you say, you don't think about it. It's something you wouldn't, the reader wouldn't necessarily uh, uh, think about. You just figure, hey, these people zip this stuff off. And I even tried. I thought maybe it would help me. I, I don't know if they still got it, but a few years ago, anyway, they were advertising these, uh, I think it was Dragon or something. Uh, they had a couple of different things where you could talk, you could record, and these would type out uh, for you. But I found, at least from my experience, there were enough errors, enough typos uh, trying the, those programs that I spent more time editing and I would be, it was actually faster and more efficient for me to do what I was doing with the one finger because it, uh, the, the, uh, the talking, uh, talking into the machine there just wasn't cutting it. So I, I did give it a try, but it, uh, but it didn't work for me. So I, I stuck with the old fashioned way. <laughs> well, that makes good sense. We have to be efficient, that's for sure. And editing, uh, editing, I think, is probably uh, the most. I don't know how people do it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's, uh, when um, so the book is the book, a family business, the life and times of Joey Silvestri launches today. This is February twelfth, nine or nineteen. Right. Yeah. 2019. <laughs> Correct. Uh, and why don't you give out the information as to where readers can pick up a book? I shall. Uh, it's currently now live and it's available in the uh, ebook, the Kindle uh, version. It's uh, today can start being ordered in paperback as well. And we also just signed uh, an agreement. To with the uh, with a reader to do the audio book, so that is in process. It's not we just made the deal, so it's not out yet, but it, but it will be. Uh, in Amazon, the book is available in both versions now. On Amazon, uh, again, it's uh, it's under a family business, the life and times of Joey Silvestri. So. Uh, they can uh, they can purchase either edition either version on Amazon, and also the publisher is Wild Blue Press. And if you go to the WildBluePress.com website, uh, it is now available uh, on their page as well. I don't know pricing wise. I don't know if it's any cheaper on the Wild Blue Press page or what, but uh, you can certainly check out both uh, both sites and find out where the best deal is. Denny, do you have a way to offer autographed copies of your books? Do, I mean, do you do you do that? Well, yeah. What uh, what I do the the Kindle versions, I have a way set up that I can autograph a Kindle copy. Okay, um, because I'm because the distributor, I don't distribute the books myself. I don't have a you know a ready supply of them. Uh, well, I don't have any of this one yet because it's just coming out today. But I, I don't, I don't keep a, a big supply of books and, and take orders directly. What some people have done in the past, if they want a signed copy, they will get a copy, uh, a paperback. They will get it through Amazon or from the publisher's site, and then mail it to me with a return uh, uh, package, return envelope. 
and I will sign the the book and return it to them. So um, it, I don't charge anything for the you know signing the book, but uh, but the customer, the reader would would have to pay for the shipping the book to me and then the return stamped uh, you know folder envelope to 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 return it to them. That's perfect. I know a lot of readers really appreciate an autographed copy, and it's it's not really easy to get out there um, in the community and do a lot of book signings at this day and age. But um, but no, I think people not. appreciate that. And let me tell you what Joey's going to do. Uh, uh, the plan is that he is going to uh, set up in his neighborhood. Uh, uh, some signings. It, it, they wouldn't be just signings. I, I have gotten so I'm not a big fan of just book signings. Uh, I, I think there should be some type of a program involved where you discuss the book, uh, take questions from the audience, and, and that type of thing. And uh, of course, if you, if you go to a bookstore, you know, a book and mortar bookstore, they take the majority of the money from any sales. You know, it was they sell the books and all you would get would be whatever you would make on a royalty basis for that. So what what he uh what Joe plans to do is set up at some local businesses such as coffee shops, uh restaurants, uh that type of thing. Set up some uh some signings and then he will of course be able to sign the books right there on the spot and uh, uh that is in the plan we again we don't we haven't received any books yet so uh but as soon as the we're able to 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 get them um uh, that is his plan and it'll be a nice touch i think it'll be good for joey and a lot of the people he's uh you know well known in the on his home turf and that would be a uh i i think the uh his neighbors and friends would would enjoy that as well. So uh, he's quite excited about that aspect, and so am I. Oh yeah, that that sounds great. Well, maybe if you can get dates, we can put it on Facebook or something, and and you know let let readers know that are in the area that they can they can meet Joey Silvestri live and in person, and get an autographed copy of the book. That would be great. That's. Yes, good idea, Dee, and that's what we will do as soon as he can get some events set up. You know, as soon as the books start flowing and he can get the uh, events set up, we'll we will post. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, good is idea. there any other information that we need to um, let our audience know about uh, a family business? I think that pretty much uh, brings us up uh, up to speed on that. You know, about Joey and. Uh, and and the types of of stories that that are in this book, it's not again all organized crime. It's it's a lot of stuff, but uh, it, but I find it all fascinating. Whether whether it's the COPA, whether it's the mortgage business, whether it's the restaurant, all these things, the gambling, the illegal gambling. Uh, uh, I I found it to be very entertaining to me. It was it was a fun write, and hopefully it'll be a fun read. Uh, for people and we will I think uh, hopefully have more and maybe do future shows too about the Transparency Project uh, anthology 
Yes, uh, absolutely we will. <laughs> well, okay. I, you know, I'm really sorry, Joey. Yes, I'm sorry Joey wasn't able to be with us today because he he was such a, I don't know, lively guest, you might say. And his <laughs> his storytelling abilities, even on air, are are just fun to listen to. So you know, and if, if I'm going to plug, I'm going to plug your other interview. If anyone wants to listen to the interview with Dennis Griffin, the author, and and Joey Silvestri, they can go to ImaginePublicity.com on the podcast page and and listen to that. And and I just think. I was fascinated with this book and reading it. And again, I think it's important for people in no matter what position they're in. I'm I'm not saying just, you know, old mobsters, but it, it's an interesting read in the history, you know, the history that he brings out in, in his stories is, is very relevant and, and something that people can learn about. It, it is. I, I, I think if, um, you know, you have any interest in history, some organized crime stuff, gambling, anything like that, you know, and the celebrities and the baseball players and all, all this stuff, I, I think you would enjoy the book. I agree. And any other contact information or anything like that that you want to get out? No, I think that's pretty much it for now. Oh, the uh, If anyone is interested in learning more about me or any of my other books, you can visit Dennis, www.dennis, N is in Norman Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N, dot biz, B-I-Z is in zebra, Dennis N. Griffin dot biz. And uh, all my books are listed there. There's some photos and some videos and, uh, and so on. So it's something you might enjoy browsing. I agree. And you've you've had an illustrious second career and, you know, you've rubbed elbows with a lot of people. So I think readers and listeners might find your website very uh, a neat way to spend an afternoon going through it and and just seeing what what things you've done. Yes. And I I think, again, they would probably enjoy the, the photos and the videos. Well, I think we'll uh, close out the show and and we're going to play that music again here at the end because I just thought it was really cool. And and we hope that yeah. uh that listeners will will come back and find us on the Inside Lens network. You can search it on iTunes. It's Inside Lens L E N Z network and everything that we've done for the last I don't even know how many years but there's probably seven eight hundred podcast episodes to listen to that would keep you interested and and very very busy for a long time so I hope that um, you'll go to iTunes leave us a a comment leave us a review Um, it's always important in order to to get our, our programming in front of new people who may not have known about it yet. So we encourage you to do that. Denny, thanks a bunch. Um, I look forward to the next time you and I are on air together and we're going to say goodbye. Thank you very much. Dee. have a great day. Been banging around in the great big city. 
Fast money and the life will never show you no pity. Oh, I work hard trying to make my bones. But times have changed and I just got to move. Can't run away, can't run away, can't run. I can't run away, can't run away. 